So uh, this is lesson number four. I usually teach in series. And so the first part, how many enjoyed Joe McGee if you were here last week? Joe McGee was a guest speaker. He was with us on our cruise. He was great. And he's always teaching something on marriage. So uh, we diverted from our normal topic of uh, the subject I've been talking about. This is lesson number four. Talking about prayer, when I started this year, the Lord impressed me that... that um, Prayer is our place of safety in 2020. So uh, his encouragement to me was to help us all to develop our prayer life. And and that's often a challenge for all of us. Uh, You know, prayer is something where you're talking to a person who is invisible and you're pouring your heart out to him and you got to learn how to do that. So somebody said prayer is better caught than taught. But there is the teaching part that we need to understand just some simple principles about why we pray and, and uh, bring some understanding to that. So the first week we talked about Jesus' prayer life. All of this is online. I can't say everything I've said in the past several weeks in teaching this. It's online. My notes are there. You can download them. In fact, somebody after first service told me they downloaded all my notes. That's great. Do that. We've got the video audio available for you to listen to if, you have, if this is your first time or you missed something. But uh, I just want to expound some things that are just real quickly what we have shared. First week we talked about Jesus' prayer life. How many know Jesus being the son of God, he, Jesus was the God man. How many get that? And, you know, Philippians 2 said he laid aside the, the power of the office of being the son of God. And he lived at, just like we do. He, he went through every test, challenge, trial that we go through. And he didn't live with anything at his disposal that we don't have today as believers. He lived by the word. He lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus showed us the way to live by faith. So uh, he, and in doing that, you'd notice if you go through the Gospels, Jesus prayed a lot. Now, if Jesus needed to pray, and with extended periods of ministry, Jesus had extended periods of prayer. So if Jesus needed to pray, do you think we need to? So we talked about that. Second week, we started talking about 10 points that explain why we must pray. Most believers don't pray a lot because they don't see any real reason or need behind it because here's the idea. Because God is so big and because God is God and because God knows everything and God's in charge of everything, then God's doing everything that he wants to do all the time, whether or not I pray. Now that is not true. See, it gets quiet when I talk about this. That's religious thinking. And that religious thinking is a tool of the enemy to keep us from praying. God will not, God will not go against the human will. So a lot of things that God wants are not happening because people won't refuse to yield to him. And then, and then... God can only do something when we pray. Now, that's a challenging statement. I've been talking about that the past few weeks, but I want to summarize the first nine points. We got one point we'll cover today to summarize the nine points of why we must pray that we've talked about the last two times that I've covered this. Here's the skinny of it. Uh, The Bible says that God's arch enemy, Satan, his uh, original name was Lucifer, which means bright one. He was the most intelligent, most beautiful being God had ever created. He was in heaven. You find this in Ezekiel uh, 28, Isaiah 14. But he got lifted up in pride and felt that he could run the universe better than God could. And the Bible says, gives us very little light about it, but just enough to know there's trouble. And so uh, he led an insurrection against God with some of the angels of heaven. 
And Bible scholars agree, perhaps as many as one-third of the angels of heaven fell when Lucifer deceived them and decided that they should lead a war against God. There was a war in heaven, and God won. Satan was kicked out of heaven, and when he was, he was kicked to the earth. First lesson, I went into, I went into second lesson, I went into great detail on this. So go back and listen to that. But anyway, he fell to the earth, and he was here uh, when God created Adam and Eve. And here's the skinny about God creating Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve, or us, humankind, to fellowship with him. We are spirit beings made in the image of God. Our conscience is the voice of our human spirit speaking on the inside. We're created to worship. We're created to know God. We're created for a purpose grander than ourselves. Would you agree? And then when God created us, he did something really unusual. After he created Adam and then, and then the wife from his side, Eve from his side, uh, God did something. Now, God is the authority, overarching authority over all of the universe. In fact, you know, you, people don't understand it. We use the word, but God transcends creation. That means he lives outside of it. God lives outside of space and time. It's kind of heady. That means he's huge. He's big. He's, he's incredible. And he is the all authority in the universe. How many get it? So, so here's what I want you to understand. Here's the concept that the Bible teaches very clearly is that when God created the earth and then put Adam and Eve humans here, One of the big things God did, he gave us fellowship with himself. But then secondly, God gave a measure of his all authority to the human race. And God's plan was, now he's overall in charge of the universe. But for a specific period of time, he said, Adam and Eve, I'm going to let you fellowship with me. And under, under me and in fellowship with me, I want you to take care of the earth. He was their caretaker's and care providers for the earth. So here's the way God set it up. He decided that when he created the world the way it is now, with everything that we see, that he would do nothing without consulting man first because God God gave authority to man and and he wouldn't do anything out uh, on the earth unless he went through his man. God's a really good delegator. How many get it? And so you get the concept that here's, God, here's Adam as God's underruler on the earth, and he's supposed to take care of the earth, dress it, keep it, take care of it. But a problem came when, when Lucifer came and deceived Adam and Eve, and Adam sinned, knowing what he did. When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke fellowship with God. But the second thing that happened was they gave the authority that God had given them to oversee the earth. They gave it to uh, God's arch enemy, Satan, and they literally committed, listen to this, high treason. You get it? They took the authority that God had given them and gave it to, to the spiritual entity that they obeyed, which is Satan. And Satan had a, had a legal right to that authority once they disobeyed God. And that's the reason that we have the trouble that we have in life today. Jesus calls Satan a thief, and he says he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Uh, The apostle Paul called Satan the God, little g, God of this world. Jesus called Satan in John 14, 30, the prince of this world. The apostle John in his epistle, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, says the whole world is under the embrace of the evil one. 
And uh, Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. Now, how did he get that designation? And why is the devil here? And how can he, he usurp authority over the earth? Well, he got his authority from Adam when Adam sinned and fell. Now, here's the really cool thing is that when Jesus came, the Bible calls him the, the last Adam, calls him the second Adam. Jesus is the first person born. Everybody awake? Say, I'm awake. This is really cool stuff. Jesus is the first person born since Adam and Eve sinned against God who was born in fellowship with God. He's a human, 100% human, but he's God. In fellowship with God and out from under Satan's jurisdiction. Satan had no control over him. Jesus commanded the wind and waves, be still, when they were in a ship one time. Remember that? Jesus took authority over demonic forces, and nobody could do it that way prior to him. He gave his disciples power in his name. But watch this. So Jesus exercised that first man, Adam's authority, the way he should have while he was here. He was here, and it upset Satan. He was some kind of mad. He tried to kill him right when he was born because he, he thought that Jesus was going to take his place. Well, you know what? What Jesus did, Jesus, when he died, he became our sin. God's, God has to be legal in every single thing that he does. So the Bible says God made Jesus to be our sin before he died. Jesus was judged for our wrongdoing. Every wrong thought, every wrong word, every wrong action that we've ever committed, Jesus became that. And he paid the, the legal penalty for our sin by dying, by going to hell, and staying there until God, and this is all in the New Testament, until God was satisfied that our sin debt was paid. And when God was satisfied when I, that our sin debt was paid, the Holy Spirit came on Jesus there in hell and he was raised from the dead, got back in his human body, conquered death, took the authority of death and hell and he gave, and he gave it back to us. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared, everybody away? Y'all just looking, but I'm going to talk hard. Just before Jesus went to heaven, the Bible says he ascended back to heaven. In Matthew 28, all authorities given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now Jesus said that as the representative man. Understand this again. God gave legal authority on earth to oversee it to his first man, Adam and Eve, and in, and in them is us. We have authority, but it's been taken away. So Satan has a legal right to be here. He is stealing. He's killing. He de he's destroying. He's messing with your life. He's trying to mess with my life. He'll mess with your family. He'll mess with your friends. He'll mess with everything that you know and love. And he's trying to mess up everything. And then he tries to accuse God in my, in my mind and your mind saying, you got problems because God doesn't love you. Nothing could be further from the truth. We have problems because we live in a fallen world. And, and there's a usurper, a person that took, that took something that didn't belong to him, but he had, and he's a legalist. He had a legal right to do it because Adam and Eve obeyed him. And he took their authority. When Jesus stood before the 11 apostles and said, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye, 
Go therefore. You know what he was saying? He he was saying, I am the representative man. What Adam and Eve had before God before they sinned. I as the representative man had it. I took your place in suffering. I'm raised from the dead. And now if you believe in me and trust me and come and live with me and for me, if you become one of my persons, then you have the same authority that Adam and Eve had. I'm giving it back to you. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's the reason for prayer. Now, listen to this carefully. God can't do anything on earth unless he gets some, uh, a human to agree with him. Now, see, that's, I know you say, that can't be so. Well, think it through. Challenge me on it. Talk, think about it. Search the scriptures about it. In, in fact, Old Testament, anytime God went to do something, God cut a covenant with Abraham. And God, Abraham become God's covenant friend. And then the Israelites were God's covenant people. God did nothing on the earth in the Old Testament until he checked with humans. So let me talk to you. Let us reason together. Let me talk to you about what I want to do. Why? If you don't understand this, you won't pray much and then you'll have problems in life. God can't do, he has, he's limited himself to the authority that he gave humanity on earth. I'm trying to say this in different ways where you'll get it. God can't just do every single thing he wants. He could, but he won't. Why? Because in original creation with Adam and Eve, he gave authority to the human race. And he's, he, God lives by the rules he sets up. So God said, well, I'm going to give the human race authority over the earth. I'm not going to do anything here unless it goes through them first. Did you hear what I just said? And so when Adam and Eve gave gave the authority God gave them away and Satan gained that authority, he became the prince of this world, the prince of darkness. And, you know, he came to kill, steal, and destroy. God just can't run roughshod over him and do anything he wants to do. God's got to get man's permission again. And that's where the church comes in. When Jesus said, all authority is given to me, go ye, the same authority that God gave Adam and Eve, God has restored to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if God's going to do something worldwide or in your personal life or in your family, somebody's got to give him permission to do it. Now, see, that's, that's, if you've got a religious mind, you say that's hogwash. Prove it's not. Prove to me it's hogwash. No, it's right. Pastor, you mean you're, try, you're trying to say to me that anything God does worldwide now, he's got to get somebody to cooperate with him in prayer? Yes. So, Pastor, what if I don't pray? Then God's will may not be done in your life and your family, and the enemy may come in and steal, kill, and destroy. Now, let me broaden this. Everybody's looking like, oh, my gosh, I better pray. Yeah, you're right. But, but let me broaden it a little bit. You know, statistics say there are over 2 billion Christians worldwide. That's a lot of people. Would you agree? Now, now here's the skinny, and this is challenging to me. Most believers in Christ do nothing with their authority. That is, they don't resist. They don't say no. They just, quesera, sera, whatever will be, will be, just, you know. And they don't do anything. Oh, what am I going to do? They're just whining. Oh, what am I going to do? There are a few people. Two billion people out of those two billion, I don't know how many, there's a bunch of them who know God, who know his word, who know their authority, who are in tune with the Holy Spirit that God calls on constantly. I need you to pray. They're all over the world. 
You remember what Jesus prayed? The model prayer there in Matthew 6. He started out, you know, worshiping the Father. And then he said, Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, let your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. What was Jesus doing? He was giving, he was giving God permission as a man to come into the earth and do what he wants to do. In my prayer life, every morning, I start out worshiping the Lord, singing, worshiping and all that. But, but one of the first things I say, Father, let your kingdom come today. Lord, let your will be done on earth. Let your will be done in me, in our church, in our church family, in our, in our state, in our nation, in our world. Let your purposes, what am I saying? God, come and do what you need to do. I give you permission. God's got to have permission. So worldwide, God's got all these people. I want, you to, I want to paint a picture for you. God's got all these people worldwide who know him. In fact, um, I think it's 2 Chronicles 12. There was a a group of uh, Israelites called Issachar's race. And it said they had understanding concerning the times. That they should know what Israel ought to do. These were people that were set apart who knew God who knew what the prophet said, they knew God's word, and they were listening, they were listening for the voice of God to help guide his people. And there are people today who know the word, who know their authority, who know the Holy Spirit's power that God calls on when he wants to do something in the earth. So what we all need to realize is this, if you ever have a burden to pray, and sometimes that burden is you don't know why you feel so awful, but something inside of you just feels like it's not right. If you're a believer and that happens, sometimes it's the enemy and you need to resist it, bringing a spirit of fear or oppression or depression or whatever. Certainly you need to resist that, that, but other times it's the Holy Spirit saying, I got a person that's got a problem. I've got a situation that I need somebody to pray about and I'm asking you to help me. So what you and I don't realize is as we tool through life and we come upon challenges, physical challenges, mental challenges, emotional challenges, financial challenges, circumstantial challenges, spiritual challenges, you know, you have no idea. There may be somebody on the other side of the world. Maybe they're in Africa. Maybe they're in a little village in India. Maybe they're somewhere in the Russian Federation. Maybe they're somewhere in Europe. Maybe, I thought I was stepping on your toe. I'm sorry. Maybe they're somewhere on earth. Maybe they're in Australia, New Zealand, South America, Central Latin America, or somewhere in the USA, or somebody in your community, and the Holy Spirit's saying, pray, and you don't know why. But you're saying, Father, whatever this thing is, work it out in Jesus' name. They might be praying for you. They might be praying for your children. So don't limit what I'm saying when I say God can only move when somebody prays. God's got a lot of people all over the world. And then besides that, all of the prayers that have been prayed in the eons of time since the beginning of the church, God has put Revelation 8 says in a bottle. He keeps your prayers He remembers what's prayed. And God is answering the prayers of our forefathers. In fact, the reason we're blessed today in America is because of the sacrifice and the praying of our forefathers. Do you get that? You may be blessed in your life because you had a praying mama, a praying grandmama. You get it? Switch brings me. Do y'all get to understand all that? So today is number 10 on why we must pray. Our prayers give God permission to bring to pass his kingdom and his rule wherever authority over Satan is exercised. 
So you see, all of us have prayer responsibility. How many understand it? And don't say, well, so, now don't take what I just said. Well, somebody, God's got somebody praying. Somebody on the other side of the world then must be praying for me when I have a need. Well, they may be, but what if they get tired or what if they get sidelined and don't pray? Then you're in trouble. Don't trust somebody else's prayers. Pray yourself. How many get that? This went over real big. Ephesians chapter 1, summarize Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says, God has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The summarization of Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 is this. Jesus is seated at the right hand of authority and he is the, he is the authority over every rule, every power, every dominion, over everything that will ever be. Jesus is the supreme authority in the universe because of his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says we're seated with him in that position of authority. We are, we are co-seated with him, one translation says. Isn't that cool? So, so let me just get, make practical. So, so, you know, now, you know, I read and all that a whole lot. And, and uh, now a big thing is, well, there's, there's aliens, there's UFOs, and there's all these little spooky things. And Well, you know what? Jesus has authority over that. Why are you worried about that? I wouldn't even give that the time of day. What if there are creatures from another planet and they're going to invade the earth? Jesus has authority over those creatures in Jesus. How many hear me? And so do you. And then some people look at YouTube and all this and now they've got cameras ever. I've got about nine cameras around my house. Don't mess with my house. You're being recorded. So, I mean, and, and then people put it on YouTube and they see this little spooky thing walking around. And they say, see, there's boogers, there's ghosts, there's goblins. So, so what? Jesus has authority over them. Why you got to worry about all that stuff? How many hear what I'm saying? People are spooked about things they don't need to be spooked at. Make Jesus Lord. You have his authority over all this mess. How many hear me? Anyway, I've got three things today. Y'all still listening? To live in your authority in Christ. There are three things that we need to incorporate into our life. Real quickly here. Number one, obedience to the word. Everybody is so obeying God. Everybody say, obeying God is the most important thing that I can ever do in my whole life. See, when you obey God, you take your, yourself out, of a, out from under Satan's jurisdiction. If you say you know God, but you live in disobedience and are practicing a lifestyle that you know is wrong, you know what? You have no authority, and Satan is ruling your life. How many hear me? So, so James 4, 7 says, therefore submit to God... Everybody say, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the most important thing I can do is obey God by obeying his word and then live by faith. So he says here in James 4, 7, therefore, submit to God. What does that mean? Do what he says. That means if the Bible says don't lie, then don't lie. Even if your boss says, well, don't tell him the truth, tell him this. And then you'll make the sale and then later on they'll find out that they... That, you know, we got this other thing that you didn't say. How many don't do that? Tell the truth. Huh? Don't slander people with your words. Don't backbite. Don't gossip. Or whatever the Bible says you're not to do. How many know if you, don't, if you obey, you're submitting to God? You get it? So the first thing, most important thing for me is submit myself to God. If I do that, then I can successfully resist the devil. See, I have no authority to resist the devil who is ruling everybody that doesn't know Jesus as Lord. Yes or no? 
Anybody not submitted to Jesus Christ on earth is by default ruled by the God of this age, Satan. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Everybody just looks at me like, really? That's exactly right. That means the people that you know. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. It's people that you work with, people that live in the community around you. That's the reason that we stand out as lights in the darkness. And that's the reason we need to pray for them, that God would open their eyes to truth. How many hear me? So he says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This word resist, in fact, the New English Bible of this verse says, stand up to the devil, and he will turn and run. Most believers don't stand up at all. They just whine and complain, why is this going on? Why is this happening? What am I going to do? And they fall for the fear that the enemy puts in their mind. Don't do that. Resist. Stand. Know that you're in Christ. How many hear me? So he says, resist the devil. The word resist. Several, several Bible scholars have said it this way. Resist means to oppose or withstand, to set oneself against, either in word or deed or both. And then the word flee. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that word flee means to run from as if terrorized. How many know Satan's afraid of you if you only know it? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Now, y'all, I've been, all, I've been to a number of nations in the world, and I've confronted demon activity in people's lives, and I've had demons manifest in people in my office and such, and, you know, in the mission field and other places. And, and let me just say this, and I don't have time to even talk about that. Every time they manifest, and they're in front of me, they're afraid. They're not afraid of me. They're afraid of Jesus and who he is. But they're not afraid if you're not walking with God, and if, you're, and if you're not walking in fellowship with him. How many hear me? But they are afraid of you. So he says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Then Ephesians 4.27 says, nor give place to the devil. Another translation says, don't give the devil any opportunity to work. Don't give the devil, another translation, a way to defeat you. Don't leave room for the devil, yet another translation. So, you know... Satan's defeated, but he works through ignorance. How many hear me? So he does two things. And all of us have to deal with this. He'll put a thought in your mind and a feeling in your body. And that's the way he works. He works in the natural realm. He has the power to make you think something. But that doesn't mean you have to think it after him. He can put thoughts. He and his emissaries, demonic forces that are all over the world, they can put thoughts in their minds and also can make us feel certain things and then make it so real that we think, well, Matt, that's really true. Well, I really am that way. That's really going to happen. But how many know it's, it's a lie? It's not true. And he needs to be resisted. In fact, Peter said it this way, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. I've mentioned this so many times. Stay alert, he says. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And listen what it says as the antidote to Satan coming to attack. He says, Whom, uh, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. So how do you resist the devil? You resist the devil by submitting to God and standing in faith. How many get that? So what does he do? He puts a thought in your mind and a feeling in your body. So here's how it works. All of us are born really under the control of the adversary. Now, if you're born in a family where uh, your parents are believers, they're Christians, and they're praying people, and they understand their authority in Christ... 
then yes, your parents can keep that stuff off of you. But when you come to the age of knowing right and wrong and you come out from under your parents' jurisdiction, how many know you're responsible for you? So listen, this, this works this way. I want you to hear me clearly. This is as practical as I can get it. Everybody will be, t- every believer will be tested. If you're going to come out from the control of this mess that Satan's uh, worked out in the earth because of his legal control and his legal reason for being here, to get out from under that, you've got to be willing to submit to God and walk by faith. So that means there's a crisis. Every one of us will have that crisis of obedience and faith. How many hear me? You've got to be willing to go through it. And, and to get out from under his control, you've got to divorce yourself from, from listening to everything that comes into your mind as being truth. And then you've got to be willing to live apart from the way you feel and live by what God says in his word about you, even when it doesn't seem real. And that's called walking by faith. How many get that? And, 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 and everybody will have that test. So for me, you know, I had known the Lord not quite four years. Susan and I got married uh, and then we weren't even married a year, and we moved to Oklahoma to go to our second Bible school. We went to one in our hometown together, and then we moved to Oklahoma, 1,200 miles from anything. I, I was 21 years old. And, and really, this was, as I look back on it now, it was really the test of faith for me. And see, if you're going to get out from under Satan's jurisdiction and control, you've got to be willing to walk by faith and submit to God. So he spoke to Susan and I to move to Oklahoma. We did. I sold a car. We had some money in savings. And from that, we were going to go to Bible school uh, from those proceeds. And I knew I had to get a job fairly quickly or we'd deplete our resources fairly rapidly. And she had to get one as well. And uh, we needed a really good job. So, you know, we kind of had no guarantees when we moved 1,200 miles from home. For me, as I look back, that was a spiritual test for me as to whether or not I was going to let my mind control me and my feelings control me. When we got there, it was a good period of time. It's several months before I got a job. And the enemy kept telling me, why don't you give up? Why don't you quit and go back to South Carolina where you were raised? And then my dad would call me and say, Mitch, dangle the carrot. Got some money. How much you need? I said, Daddy, don't do that to me. No, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. I had to learn to walk by faith on my own. My mind would tell me, I would have thoughts, you're going to fail. This is not going to work. You're going to tuck your little tail between your legs and go back to South Carolina, boy. You ain't going to Bible school. You're failing. You're a failure. See, all those thoughts of the enemy trying to control you, you've got to live beyond them by living by faith. No, God said, when I pray, he hears what I pray. When I pray, believe I've received the answer to my prayer, and it'll happen. So I did that, and you know what? Eventually, I got a job. I had to spend weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks defying what seemed real, what seemed to be true. God finally came through, and y'all, I got a job making an amazing amount of money. What's in today's dollars? Again, I mentioned it a few weeks ago. It's $28 an hour. For a Bible school person, that's not bad, right? Man, God came through. You know what that showed me? I can't live by what I think. I can't let the thoughts that come into my mind completely dominate me. If they don't line up with the Bible, I need to resist them. Right? Huh? And then I need to learn that not to not allow my emotions. Some days I felt defeated, like don't get out of bed. This ain't going to work. What you going to do? I, I ignored what I felt and said out loud what God said. And see, everybody has that test. How many understand that? 
I've had several of those kinds of personal tests in my life. I mean, I could, we could sit here for a good period of time and I could tell you about test after test after test. The more you walk with God and the more you want to be used by Him, the more you want to please Him, the more you're going to have to be willing to walk by faith, ignore your thoughts and your feelings that disagree with what the Bible says and go with it. How many hear me? I started a church in South Carolina. I was 30 years old. Two years later, God led me, and I couldn't believe it. I thought I'd be there for life to give it up and give it to another guy. I did. I went into a traveling ministry. Here's another level of this. I went into a traveling ministry, and, you know, what you think's going to happen in life and what really happens is usually two different things. I thought it was just going to take off. Yeah, it took off. I wasn't going anywhere. I mean, you know, I'm calling pastors, you know, seeking to go out travel and, and ain't too many people wanting me in their door. So, I mean, I was believing God with everything inside of me. And then the enemy's talking to my head. See, this is another level. See, every time you go to another level in God, you're going to have opposition. How many hear me? If you're going to obey God with your life, if you've been in the world, been drinking, smoking, sexing, whatever you've been doing, and you say, I'm coming out of that, you're going to have a test. The test can come back. How many hear me? Your drinking buddies will come back. Hey, we got some good stuff. Oh, your drug buddies are going to come back. Hey, come with us. Or somebody's going to call you. Hi, you want to get with me tonight? You're going to have the test. For me, the test is this. I mean, here I was. I was starting out in another phase of ministry God had for me, and thoughts came to my mind. I wrote them down. I've got them in my journal still yet today. I've got them in my journal. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the thoughts were your failure. You're a failure as a minister, as a husband, as a father, as a provider, as a man. Kill yourself. I just, the devil's crazy. You hear me? If I had listened to those thoughts, I wouldn't be here today. Huh? And in the middle of that, the Holy Spirit rose up in me and said, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Where do the thoughts come from? Did they come from this? No. Where did they come from? Well, I guess the enemy. Resist. Get up. He told me, get up. Go outside, take your Bible. And God took me through the Psalms and showed me that regardless of the test that I was facing, because life was hard at the moment, that I was going to make it. I was going to overcome. I was going to be okay. Huh? And I told that devil, that spirit of suicide, where to go? How many hear me? So if you're going to walk with God, there's going to be a test of faith and a test of obedience. Got to be willing, willing to go there. Secondly, to live in our authority in Christ, you have to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. How many know that's important? Listen to John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father's mind. That's why I said... The Spirit will tell you whatever He receives from me. How many know we need to obey God, listen to the Word, but then also listen to the Holy Spirit? One thing in life that all of us need to realize is you've got to learn. I heard a man of God years ago say, you've got to learn the voice of God for yourself. I can't tell you what that's like for you. You've got to figure it out for me. I got a journal when I thought the Lord spoke to me. I wrote it down. Well, I think the Lord's saying this. You know what I found out? It was just my mind. Or it was just my emotions. Or I, it was just wishful thinking. And so I kept writing things down. And then every once in a while I'd write something. Down, I said, whoa, 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 that happened. And then I went back and thought, now, now what was it like when I heard that? And I figured out the voice of God for me. You've got to do that for you. How many hear what I'm saying? 
And so Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will show us things to come. So here I am. This is one of the first tests in that way. In 1984, I was living in Oklahoma. We had a, I've told this before. It bears repeating for this reason. It's a good example of it. Um, there was a real bad ice storm. We had uh, at least a foot of snow. And, and then black ice, you know, it got down actually below zero for several weeks. It was just a terrible uh, just a really terrible Christmas, 1983, into early 1984 in Oklahoma. It actually went across the, a large part of the nation. Anyway, uh, so <clears throat> during that time, uh, like the first Tuesday of January, I got up and I was supposed to take a fellow, a fellow, uh, a guy that worked with me to work with me. And so I got out of my housing edition and I backed out of my garage and I was going down. And there were two different ways to get out of my housing edition. And I'm a very practical thinker. One way was longer, one way was shorter. So when I got to the point I had to make a decision which way I'm going, I heard inside, um, don't go that, don't go, don't go this, this short way, go the long way. I said, I'm, I'm not going to do that. It'll take longer, I'll be late. And that was my natural reasoning. But I heard, go right, not left. Well, I went right. And when I got out on the main road, there was black ice. I had a, a 19, at the time, I had a 1980 Ford Mustang, and it was uh, four-speed in the floor, I think. And, uh, anyway, I put it in second gear. When I, when I did, I slid down a hill, just turning around and around in circles. And make a long story short, there was a 20-foot drop-off on both sides of the hill. At the bottom, and there were no guardrails or anything. And just before my car careened off, it stopped abruptly. I mean abruptly. I thought, today I'm going to die. Down the hill, I was just hollering because I couldn't control my car. Black ice, you can't control which way it goes. In the name of Jesus, I hollered. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And the wheel, steering wheels like I had no wheels on the front. Down, twirling down. Got right to the bottom on the, on the uh, left-hand side. Going down backwards with a full tank of gas, I suddenly stopped six inches before the car went off. I, I said, wow. Had my foot on the clutch and on the brake. So what do I do now? Put the emergency brake up here. Opened the door, it just flung out because of the trajectory. I said, whoa. Saw the big 20-foot drop-off. Snuck around the car, left my keys in the car. I can't get in my house. Walk back around the car and slipped. And dropped 20 feet. Broke my wrist. I thought I broke my hip. Uh, just a little while later, went to the City of Faith. It was open at the time, Oral Roberts Hospital. And, you know, called Susan. Somebody took me home eventually. Anyway, got to uh, the hospital, got home, and everything all bandaged up. My wrist is taken care of. I said, well, Mom, I always call my mom. Mom, let me tell you what's happening. And you know, my mother, when I told her what happened and told her what I said going down the hill, I, all I could say was, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I just hollered it out, y'all. It's all that could come to my mind. When I told my mother that, she said, Mitch, I've been praying for you for the last three days, and the only thing I can say when I'm praying for you is that phrase, in the name of Jesus. In the, I said, well, you're praying for me. Do you see how important prayer is? But with that story, you see how important it is to listen. If I'd have listened to the Holy Spirit, it'd have been all right. I didn't listen. I did what I thought was, was right because it was a shorter route, and it almost cost me. It could have cost me my life, but someone intervened in prayer. How many hear me? How many know there's a lot of times in your life that if somebody hadn't have prayed, you'd have been in trouble? Is it true? So number three, another thing that helps us walk in our authority in Christ, I'll close with this, regular, consistent prayer and praying in the Spirit. Now, I want to say this. Now, 1976, September 1976, 
I was not quite 18, turned 18 in October, and uh, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. I came back to Jesus, went to a charismatic church in my hometown. I got baptized with the Holy Ghost, and Acts 2.4 says, when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you speak in other tongues. Now, I am guilty of doing that every day of my life. I don't know why the body of Christ has walked away from this in America, but they have. Nobody wants to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and praying in the Spirit. How many hear me? Let me just challenge you. If you're watching online, you're in this room, and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, walk in the light of that experience. That's one thing I've done all my life. After I got filled with the Spirit, a guy came to me and said, every day of your life, make sure you take some time and you pray in the Spirit or pray in other tongues. Now, I've been doing that all my life every day since September 12th, 1976. I take some time every day because the Bible says, that I'm going to summarize, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, when I pray in tongues, I'm not talking to men but God. No one understands what I'm saying but God understands, and the Amplified New Testament says that when I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm uttering secret truths and hidden things not obvious to the understanding. Did you get what I just heard, what I just said? That, what does that mean? I'm praying about things my mind doesn't know about. Now, I've lived a lot of life. I have traveled different parts of the world. I've had challenges. I've been near death six times. But I'm convinced of this, I'm still alive because of other people's praying. Thank God for my mother praying. But then also, I take time every day and just pray in the Spirit because I'm praying about things I don't know about that are coming up in life. How many hear me? I mean, just yesterday, just yesterday, just tooling around doing stuff I need to do. I, I came up on a red light, and, here, and I had the go. My light was green, and three people ran red lights. Boom, boom. I thought, are you crazy? Different lights. Crazy things. And you know what I was thinking? Well, I've been praying in the Spirit, so God's watching up for me. How many heard what I just said? Praying in the Spirit does something. I got, I'll tell one of these examples. I told a couple of them first service. I'll just tell one. In uh, August of 1995, we had just moved here a year prior. I had not been here quite a year in uh, Raleigh, and my family was here. We had a, a Tuesday morning prayer meeting uh, from 6 to 7. Early morning prayer. It was real popular at the time, so we had one. And so, uh, yeah, and I'd get up early and then come to church and make sure everything's ready, and then we'd pray from 6 to 7. So Monday night, I went to bed early. And uh, the weirdest thing in the world, 1 o'clock in the morning. I mean, I had a digital clock by my bed. I'm very specific. I was going to be an engineer before I came to Jesus, so I think specifically. So one zero zero. When I woke up, there's the clock, 1 o'clock. And I'm wide awake like I've not been asleep. So this is weird. What's going on? I was just wide awake, you know. So I prayed a little bit, went back, drifted off, see, 2 o'clock. That is, I woke up, and the moment I woke up, I looked at the clock, two zero zero. I said, wow. And I was wide awake like I'd never been asleep. Prayed the same way again. 3 o'clock, the same thing happened. 4 o'clock, the same thing happened. 5 o'clock, I got up. Because I got to be at the church at 6 to leave this prayer meeting. So uh, I got up, thought no more about it. Well, after the prayer meeting, 7 o'clock, on the way home, Long story short, I made an error and had a terrible automobile accident. In fact, it totaled the other car. It was a, t and it should have killed both of us, and not one of us had scratch. It was, I mean, you wouldn't believe what, if you could see it, go, oh my goodness, there's a light, there wasn't a light. There's a light where it happened now. Nonetheless, when I got home, I always called my mom. Well, mom, let me tell you what happened. So I called my mother, and she said, well, Mitch, I got a story today. I said, what is it? She said, Yesterday, which would have been Monday, and my dad, you got to understand, my dad's Southern Baptist to the bone. 
he's not spirit-filled anything, but he loves Jesus. How many know you can love Jesus and not be filled with the Spirit? Well, my dad loved Jesus, but, and, you know, always took me to church and all that. He woke up the morning before, and my mom said when he woke up, he, he sat right straight up in bed. He said, uh, Jenny, her name's Jeanette. He calls her Jenny. He said, Jenny, I had a, a terrible, I had a terrible dream. He said, somebody walked up to me in my dream and said, Mitch is dead. I said, really? She said, Mom, yeah. She said, your daddy dreamed that. And she said, all day long, all day, he prayed for me. He did, his, did whatever he did. But all day long, he was praying for Mitch. Lord, spare Mitch. Lord, help Mitch. Lord, protect Mitch. Lord, be with Mitch. Make sure he's safe. All day. I'm convinced God warned my father in a dream. I'm convinced the Lord woke me up. And had me pray about what I didn't know to pray. I prayed in the Spirit. Y'all, there's big value every day in praying in the Spirit. How many hear me? If you got children, I pray for my children that way. I pray for you that way. I pray in general that way. I'll end with this. Gordon Lindsay is the founder of Christ for the Nations Bible Institute in Dallas, Texas. And he's got some great writings. He died in 1973. He said this. And I've got this in my notes. I took these notes in the early 80s and I've read them hundreds, maybe thousands of times over the years because it's urged me to pray. He said this, consistent prayer builds, and he used the word bulwarks or defensive wall. Consistent prayer builds defensive walls around the believer against the powers of darkness, works of darkness. The enemy's sword is blunted. His secret plans for mischief are overruled. The cunning traps he sets are unsprung. How many hear what I just said? A praying person may pass by many dangers and never be aware of them. And then he said, prayerless Christians, whether in the pulpit or in the pew, are candidates for the devil's snares. How many hear that? So y'all, God moves when we pray. Because of the way this thing is set up, God can't do everything he wants all the time unless he gets the cooperation of a man on earth. And that's why he searches the earth. He's looking for people to cooperate with him. He's looking for people to pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. He's looking for people that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They don't even know what they're praying about. But they, they know, say, God, whatever it is, work this thing out. And they might be praying. <coughs> for someone, excuse me, <coughs> for someone that's thousands of miles away. I got stories we could stay here for hours, y'all. It's time this year, get serious about prayer. Develop yourself. I started praying a minute, two minutes, five minutes. The, the amount of time's not important. The connection with God is. How many hear that? Take time to fellowship with God and pray. And pray about your life. Pray over every detail of the things you're doing. And if you do, you'll see that God will move and the enemy's plans will be hindered.